welcome to James Bond and Friends. My name is James Page, co-owner of MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential Magazine. And we're back with another unmade special, talking about a James Bond film that never made it to screen. Well, in, in, in the state that they thought it would anyway. Um, so I'm joined today by Bill Koenig and David Lee. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Koenig. I'm the webmaster of the Spy Command blog, and I uh, hope that uh, everybody's uh, 2023 has gotten off to a good start. Yeah. And I'm David Lee. I run the jamesbonddossier.com, and I'm author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. So uh, if you, uh, you want a tip for a drink, ask. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> so this episode, we're going to talk about um, Warhead, which was based on James Bond of the Secret Service, which was originally written by Ian Fleming, Kevin McClure, and Jack Whittingham back in the 50s. Right, David? Yeah, well, um, yeah, that's that's right. Uh, James uh, James Bond of the Secret Service. And it went through a few titles. One was uh, Latitude something or other, mm. yeah. uh, and, and so on. And um, But, yeah, I mean, the, the story was that... Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming always saw the big screen potential of James Bond. Um, he worked with um, he, he worked with Kevin McClory originally to um, to work on the script, and the, the, and uh, McClory was a, was a, a big scuba diver, so it, it was his influence that brought in all the underwater stuff in in, Thru- in Thunderball, which um, is what James Bond of the Secret Service and so all the various titles that were thrown out, uh, thrown around, became. Um, but uh, when uh, finally the, that film, uh, the, the ideas behind that film uh, fell through, and it was it was a question of financing. Um, Fleming decided to pick up the pieces and and use it for his novel Thunderball, which landed him in a bit of. Um, uh, hot water, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sixty year, sixty years ago, this year, is that right? Um, actually, they had, the, they had the court case. Oh, the court case. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. I was about to say the first draft by Jack Whittingham was dated something like January third of nineteen sixty. Yeah, um, and it had. I forget if it's longitude or latitude, 78 degrees west, uh, was the uh, rather unwieldy title. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Which, which called for a prologue by, uh, Harry S. Truman, which is like, although in the, in the stage directions, Harry S. Truman or someone else we can get if we can't get Truman. (laughs) Um, I mean, from what I understand, Jack Whittingham was brought in quite late. Uh, yeah. well, and he he was brought in because uh, Fleming Fleming was already getting cold feet about um, putting the time and effort into developing the, the script, and uh, so Mc, I think McClory brought in Jack Whittingham to right. to uh, help out instead. There's right. a whole book by Robert Sellers, right? Yes, based on yeah. this, and it's an excellent book if you haven't picked it up. The Battle for Bond, highly recommend it. Um, so long story short, um, McClory won the rights to make the film, um, well, the settlement, I should say, because they came to a settlement, um, that he would get the rights to the film. Fleming would get the rights to the book with with the credits attached to it. Um, and so Broccoli and Saltzman approached McClory about making 
um, Thunderball rather than have a rogue film. So they made Thunderball. McClory was actually the producer. So uh, Thunderball is the only Eon Productions films uh, not produced by Broccoli because Broccoli and Saltzman were exec producers on that movie. Um, and McClory's rights were to remake it every 15 years if you wanted to. So fast forward to 1976 and Connery and McClory got together again to update a new script based on James Bond of the Secret Service, which was the book that became Thunderball, uh, the script that became the book Thunderball. Um, and the one we're going to talk about today is the next draft of that, which was dated the 6th of September, 1978. Um, this was originally credited to Len Dayton, Sean Connery, and Kevin McClory. Len Dayton later um, said that he didn't work on it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I was re- um, Len Dayton wrote a short book uh, about his experiences with Bond because he knew Ian Fleming as well as Kevin McClory, and um, he said, and I, "I read it. I read it." Or I reread the whole thing recently, uh, specifically because of the, the recording this podcast, and it, it was to see if he gave a good reason for it. And he didn't go into any detail, but he, he basically said that he wasn't convinced that anything he wrote went into it. He, he, but he was right. very, very vague about it. Yeah. So this Warhead script is the one that McClory basically and Connery went to start raising money to make this film. And they set up their Paradise Film Productions Company and Branwell Film Productions Company. Um, everything's registered to the Bahamas, <laughs> yeah, Connery being the um, fiscal conservative that he is. Um, and this is the one that we went to raise money on. Of course, it would be another, um, oh, I should say 1978. It would be another five years, of course, before they realized their dream to remake Thunderball and may never say never again. Um, and this script doesn't really look like Never Say Never Again by no. quite a way. No, no, I don't know. So, you, you, you can you can tell you can tell that it, have, it has its origins in Thunderball, but uh, yeah, it, it's a long way from being Never Say Never Again. Certainly. Oh, in, in, in well, uh, in in many respects, it's surprising how close it is to the Spy Who Loved Me. In fact, right. <laughs> yes. And I, when I was reading this recently, I looked at the dateline, of course, 76 um, was the first draft and maybe we'll pick that up another day. But 78, there is, you know, the year after The Spy Love Me comes out and there's there's quite a few overlaps and coincidences, isn't there? Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's it's striking. It, it's it's weird. It's weird to see it, and uh, it, you know the the, the whole uh, uh, what's it? Aquap- oh, I can't even say it. Aquapol. Oh, God, can you cut? I was going to ask you guys how to pronounce this. So Aquapolis. Aquapolis. I don't know. Oh God. So it's A Q U A. So aqua for water, and then polis for the city. Is that Greek or Latin for city? Aquapolis. Aquapolis. Let's let's just say his underwater base. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It. um, I guess they took it. Eon took Atlantis, right? So they had to come up with something else. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, So we should say in in this version, the seventy eight version, Blofeld is the baddie, and he's in. He's in this movie as about as much as Bond is, I think, based on yeah. You just look yeah. at who's on who's on the page of every page of this hundred and forty-two page script. About half the script is Blofeld doing stuff. Um, 
Largo was in the seventy six version, and that and and he scrubbed out for Blofeld in this in this seventy eight version. But there's one page um, where they because this is all you know it's nineteen seventy eight, right? So this, everything's hand typed and edited. Um, they didn't have Control F in those days. So there's one instance of Largo in the script yes. that hangs hangs around like a glitch. Mm. Um, but Largo's gone. It's all Blofeld, and we should just start off at the top by saying. Um, Blofeld's motivation in this is pretty much the same as Carl Stromberg and the Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. Well, if if anything, it's even more elaborate because yeah. you know Stromberg was going to you know start a nuclear war and then that would help preserve the the oceans. Here, Blofeld wants to take over the ocean and wants to basically uh, rename the planet Planet Ocean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Like, yes. Well, but he, he he also wants to prevent governments from from polluting the ocean, and so from, right. from that point of view, he, he's the good guy. Right. Right. How he goes about it, you could argue about, right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. His, his goals are quite noble. So um, he wants to overthrow the United Nations and install his own leader at the United Nations, who will then rename the planet Planet Ocean, and basically enforce that the ocean is the primary ecosystem right of the planet and governments uh what did he say something like capitalism has failed after all these attempts and communism's failed so they they're basically just going to focus on we're going to start over we're going to start <laughs> over but he's not going to he's not going to exterminate life on earth to do it he's just going to take over the political he's going to rule the world basically through the un right that's his yeah. pitch and he does this by assassinating the head of the un um early on um how do you want to do this guys do you want to go run through the order of events or should we just pick off like the the characters and their motivations what would you like to do um you know the the script is so unwieldy maybe we should just go by topic yeah <laughs> rather than try yeah. and do it chron- chronologically yeah um and if I could start, I just want to toss out something. One thing that struck me rereading this recently was how how prominent Felix Leiter is in the in the script. Right. He's far more prominent than any Eon film, um, even Licensed to Kill. Um, and it, it, in fact, in that respect, it reminded me of Whittingham's first draft from McClory in 1960, where what... Unfortunately, I don't have it, but someone loaned it to me so I could read it, and I wrote up something about it. But, you know, it's like Felix was much more prominent in that script as well. And I don't know if there was something about McClory and, or McClory's people where they wanted to play up Felix more, but Felix is in this a lot. It might have also been Connery's influence. Yeah. Because um, it, 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 the back half of it basically turns into a buddy movie, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. Um, what I found interesting, there's no description of lighter in it, um, which you'd normally find in a script like this, like, yeah. you know, like, um, they'd have some kind of characteristics mentioned in the stage directions, but there's, there's nothing at all. Right. Um, Give, giving themselves, about, I was about to say, giving themselves maximum flexibility for cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the big thing that I took away from it was, um, except for the ending and about 
seven or eight minutes in London, which is inexplicably there for I, I well we'll get on to how we get to London back. The rest of the movies the, the Bahamas. Yeah. You know, yeah. it starts in the Bahamas, it ends in New York, but it's the Bahamas, 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 all the way through. There's a quick trip back to London for no reason whatsoever. Bahamas, 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 and then New York. Um except for obviously the underwater base. And I, I find it <laughs> obviously they fixed this um, when they did never seven ever again. But MI6 and the CIA have a, like a joint base called Shrublands in Nassau. Yeah, um, which starts off you thinking, oh, you know, are you reading this as a Bond nut? You're like, oh, it's the Shrublands, it's the health clinic, it's where Bonds were like, because it start, it opens with him getting like a massage, right? And you're like, but it turns out, no, there's a huge like underground base for MI6 and CIA in the Bahamas. And Blofeld builds his shark island yeah. down so the like- beach. <laughs> <laughs> The Shark Island's like walkable distance. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think they, they, they were um, trying to cut their budget at this stage, weren't they? So, okay, oh. if, Shark, if Shark Island's within walking distance, then we, we don't need to do, uh, we don't need helicopters and planes and stuff. You can just walk there. <sighs> well, to make up for the underwater city that they would have to build. Yes. <laughs> well, well. Also, you you get the impression that you know Bond spends probably most of his time in the Bahamas, <laughs> kind of yeah. like Sean Connery. Right. <laughs> I mean, I shy of it being like I was surprised it wasn't the script direction, which was like Bond awakes at, on the side of the pool. It looks like a lot like Sean Connery's house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in that case, uh, I mean, it's surprising there was no golf scene then. Well, right. and, and also, Bond and Blofeld apparently know each other socially. Kind of, they're going to yes. play a back. They're going to play a backgammon match. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So in the opening, I don't know, first act, I guess Blofeld is set up as this kind of rich guy of the Bahamas who is going to be, try and become the was it the world backgammon champion or the yeah the like that, yeah. yeah and bond enters the tournament and is drawn against him in the semi final or something which yeah. comes to at the end but so bond and blowfield kind of are acquaintances yeah. i guess and, and one thing about the backgammon uh, is that backgammon was a, a McClory's game he was right. he was a very keen player so that, that's that's just a, a McClory uh, well, right but of course, the irony is that over at, over at the Eon Films, um, Broccoli and uh, Roger Moore played these right. high stake backgammon games, which you know, which influenced the development of the Octopussy script. But um, yes, yeah, I mean, I'm willing to write that off to coincidence, but it, but it's kind of funny <laughs> how prominent backgammon is in this script. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you, you were talking about the. Um, the scenes in London, because uh, I've got to say, the the scenes in set in James Bond's house were my favourite in this script. Right? Uh, Do you want to uh, talk about them? Because <laughs> I thought these are great, and I, yeah, I just find it funny that Con- yeah. like Connery had a muse house in London when he got the, when he got the role of Bond. <laughs> because I, so I, that's I where never, he lives in this film. <laughs> I, I I had never before considered a crossover between Bond and Inspector Clouseau, but those scenes were it. 
it, it would have been fantastic. The, the James Bond versus the Pink Panther or something. Because <laughs> it, it, it was just, uh, it, it, it's just complete farce. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, uh, you know, uh, you've got, you've got um, a housekeeper planting a bomb, uh, a bomb under his bed and uh he, which makes it to never say never again ironically but not by oh cleaner right God, and then yeah. uh and in the garage so, yeah then in the, the garage and then um uh fatima fatima blush and the housekeeper get um uh get blown up in the garage because i don't know somebody ch- chucks the bomb in there i suppose I, 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 as far as i can remember um and then there are—I don't know—I don't think they're MI6 guys, but they're uh, there's, there's something else, and uh, they come uh, they, knocking they, on the door. They come knocking in the door. Well, I think one of them comes in through the skylight, and so Bond and then grabs him by the balls or something like that, and so they're in a pretty bad shape after that. And and it, it's just like, and then all I can see when I'm reading this is. Inspector uh, Inspector Clouseau in his apartment in Paris with, with Cato, his, his right. guy, and it's just... <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I did. I did like the the the, the, the so the, the the cleaner who's a Spectre agent plants the bomb under Bond's bed, but she hides under it because they come in. Yes. Bond and Fatima are shagging on the bed, and and the stage direction is something like you can tell what they're doing by her face. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then so she has to move the bomb out of there to the garage, and then Fatima goes down to the garage, sets it off, the whole thing blows up. It's I there's no reason for this scene at all. There's no, no reason for the London sequence at all, other than they probably had to punch the list to say they were going to do a scene in London. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, Bond flies Bond flies back under orders to go CM. However, M and Q in this film pop up everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like it how, how how Bond is sent back to the Bahamas on a on a. Um, I couldn't stop laughing about that. Yeah, yeah. and then he, and he finds he finds M and Q had already arrived uh, because they've flown Concord. <laughs> 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 oh God! Yeah, but but speaking of like lighter having the biggest role in this Q is. In every act of this movie, on location, pretty much, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's all over the place. It's like, you know, I, I hadn't thought of it in the terms you said, James, as it becomes a buddy movie, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, it does become a buddy movie. It's like James and Felix, you know, out for a romp. <laughs> yeah, and then Q fills in. Yeah, like he, pop, he keeps popping up everywhere. Well, yeah. Well, Q. Okay, to use a, an American example, uh, um, Mel Gibson and uh, Danny Glover with Joe Pesci, you know, yes, popping up, yes, occasionally. Absolutely, <laughs> it's exactly what this is. <laughs> there, there, there's something else I want to point out about this script, I and mean, perhaps it was in an earlier script as well. But they seem to have invented the smartwatch. Yes, they did. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Dick Tracy, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, but, yeah, true, true. Um, yeah. yeah, Dick Tracy ripoff, sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was comic book, but in film, I think this would have been the first time. Again, it pops up in Octopussy, the video watch, right? But um, right. this was 78. Um, the two-way communicator video watch, which Q hacks a la cybernetic eyeball, no time to die, right? Yeah. Where he pulls the video files from it, and this is 1978. 
um, to find out that Fatima was actually a Spectre agent, even though Bond says he already knows that. Um, so I'm not sure what use that was to. Um, maybe maybe they had a product placement deal already <laughs> in place. Oh, right. we have to have a two way uh, two way wrist TV because we got this deal with Seiko or whoever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. So, um, so Fatima Blush in this in this she's in like page one till she gets blown up in the Muse House. Um, she's one of the main characters of this all the way through until she dies, isn't she? Yeah. She's like the lead. I wouldn't say there's really a Bond girl in this, the traditional Bond girl, quote unquote, in this script. No, I mean, like, uh, there's Justine loves it, and God knows how did anybody think of that name? Bond yeah, craves it from the Matt Helm movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought as soon as yeah, I got it. <laughs> It's like, yeah, well, yes. Matt, Matt Helm movie has gone out of production. You know, we can we can steal from that. No one's going to catch us. Right. So <laughs> Ju- Justine loves it. Uh, she does. Um, so she's like the MI6 aide, right, to Bond in the beginning. Um, yeah. Much like Mary Goodnight on Gun, I guess, um, where he's off, you know, bonking the bad girl. Um, and she's all right with that, apparently. Um but Fatima's revealed to the audience to be a badden really early, right? And so Bond's played for a chump for most of it, or, or you know, you're led to believe that he kind of knows what's going on anyway. Um, but the biggest twist that I'd forgotten about was that up until you know, all the way through this version, um, Fatima Blush is Domino's twin sister. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it would have saved on an actress, wouldn't it? <laughs> it well, hey, that, that, that underwater city is not going to build itself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just weird because, uh, yeah, Domino's got a, a very, very small role in this, really. And uh, she doesn't come in until almost the end. Well, yeah. almost the end. Yeah. Um, so oh, we should rewind a little bit, I guess. So um, Shark Island, which is the neighborhood baddie base to um, <laughs> MI6 and CIA's joint base operations at Shrublands. Um, <laughs> Bond discovers that by Helen. Uh, so let's go back to the beginning. So Hellinger, who's the American underwater expert right which is right. which i think is mcclory um projecting right yeah um and he's the he's the massive underwater expert which is just handy right that the whole plot takes place <laughs> and the underwater base is right around the corner um so that's the same plot twist, the, the plot mechanism that they use in, in the big screen Thunderball and Never Seen Ever Going of Spectre replacing somebody, right? So Spectre, Patachi in this yeah. script is the guy that went did the plastic surgery, complains about how much it costs and everything, um, and he's to replace Hellinger. But Hellinger is being wooed by Fatima Blush for no reason whatsoever because they're going to replace him anyway. So what's the point of that whole thing? Um they switch him out to the Spectre version of Hellinger, who then gives Bond some training on parasailing. Parasurfing. Oh my god, yeah. 
why it's not explained that they had to do this. Um, and then the bad Hellinger um, gets so pissed off that Bond's making move, moves on Fatima, even though Fatima was basically, quote, unquote, dating the other Hellinger. So I don't know how he's got emotional attachment all of a sudden. Um, flies him over the Shark Island base out of anger and ruins the whole operation <laughs> by exposing the base. Oh, God. I, did you know, I, the, the, if they'd filmed that, it would have been so bad. It would have been brilliant. Right. But that's where Domino, but that's where Domino, this is where I was going to, is that's where Domino's hold up, right, on the yes. little Shark Island base, um, being held prisoner by Blofeld, who's Fatima's twin sister. And um, so near the end of the movie, when Bond and Felix in their buddy cop movie kind of way go and investigate the island together, um, Bond breaks into one of the little shacks and Domino's basically tied up in the bed or something, isn't she? And yeah. um, and he snuggles oh. her. He snuggles her and tells her all about how the fact that his sister's, her sister's dead and she hates Blofeld too and they're going to team up. So that filming that scene where he basically breaks in, climbs into bed with a strange woman that's the twin sister of the woman that's just killed. <laughs> he convinces her to work, work with him within two pages of the script. Yeah, and the, 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 there's something else that I noticed here that was a kind of interesting. Cause can you remember when we were doing the Thunderball watch along and, and Bill pointed out, I think it was Bill anyway, pointed out the, the mirrored ceiling in yes. Thunderball. Yeah, well, yeah. it talks about a mirrored ceiling in, in this with Domino as well at some yes. point. In the in Blofeld submarine. I was in the submarine. Yeah, yeah. So, he's got he's got a mirrored ceiling. So, yeah. so this must have been this must have been a, a fixation of either Sean Connery's or uh, Kevin McClory's. Yeah, someone's yeah, got yeah. a king. And and right. just listening to uh, you guys the last couple of minutes, I, I keep thinking you know a psychiatrist would have a field day doing a <laughs> an academic paper about the script with <laughs> all these various things. Uh, in the subtext actually it's not that deep in the subtext it's like practically right at the surface but yeah yeah but it, one one of the odd things that i found reading the the dialogue especially james james bond's dialogue was that i can't imagine sean connery um uh speaking these lines it always to me sounds like roger moore what, uh, what, what, what do you think um a, a little bit because it leans into the humor a lot, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of it is kind of very light humor. Um, but, you know, I mean, I was, I had in my head Connery as Never Say Never Again Connery in this movie, yeah. where he's kind of just playing it for, for the paycheck, right? Yeah. And, um, and oddly, I had Christoph Waltz in my mind as Blofeld <laughs> when I was reading it. It was a really weird, out of sync kind of mental image. Which is ruined at the end because at the end of the script, there's no there's no direction about what the characters look like or anything until the very end where Blofeld's just, just one, I think it's like obesely overweight or something he's mentioned. It's like, hang on a minute. How, how does this guy who does all these things all through the script suddenly become like heavily overweight at the very end? Um, but to your point about the lines, there are some good jokes, I think, in this. Well, I think they're good jokes, but my sense of humor is somewhat <laughs> off. I like the killer jacuzzi idea. Which- yeah, that's the, yeah that that's um, 
that that's the rack uh yes the rack from thunderbolt or the centrifuge from the moonraker idea right where somebody's in the control room turning the dial to kill but again the bad hellinger is trying to kill fatima who he was previously jealous of bond of like five minutes previously when he tried to kill him and then i I should mention at the end of that like trying to kill bond by the parasailing thing they kind of just like get back to base and shake hands which is weird yeah it's like oh you tried to kill me ha 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 um but you're well, an American well, Marine. Because it, so in fact, okay. he, he tries to kill Bond, but then it, he he he's overboard with uh, sharks in the water, isn't it? And Bond rescues him. Bond, yes, Bond rescues him. Yes, the guy uh, who just tried to kill him. Yeah. yeah. So I could, and I, when I was reading that, uh, and I, I was thinking, why doesn't he just leave him? Right. Well, well to be fair, Bond doesn't know he's a double at that point. I was, no, I was, but, he, but he was an arsehole. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So the killer jacuzzi, the lie that got me was, um, so Fatima and Bond are in the jacuzzi after Bond's near-death experience, and, and Fatima almost dies as well, doesn't she? Yeah. From drowning in the back of the boat or something. So they're in the jacuzzi to apparently recover, even though the jacuzzi says, you must be a trained operator. So how is this relaxing? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and um, so Fatima says, I think you planned this whole thing, James. Bond says, yes, I did. Fatima says, oh, I can read you like a book. She reaches out for him under the water. Bond brackets has a look of surprise and delight. Bond says, "This must be the Braille system you're using." Yes, but but that that's Roger Moore. That's Roger yes. Moore speaking. That yeah. Uh, but I did chuckle. Um, but logically, it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, actually, there's quite a bit about this script that doesn't make much sense. But uh, which, which, sort of the broader question is, I'm really curious. How was this script put together? You know, like I say, you had the three names, but you know, Lund Dayton, you know, said, "Well, I didn't do anything with it." Um, how much was you know, how much was it that Connery actually was at a well, those days had been a typewriter you know, actually doing the hard work of doing a script. I, I don't know. No, I, I, want, I wondered about that as well. And, uh, it, and you know, I, I, what, what, what I was really looking for when I was uh, uh, reading the, the Len, uh, Len Dayton book was to see whether he just thought he wasn't up to, to scratch or, you know, whether right. he was a bit, a bit ashamed of the, the script. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't fully buy his, his excuse that, um, he wasn't sure how much of his content was actually in it. That, that to me, it doesn't, doesn't make that much sense because I think, you know, all the, the shark stuff, um, yeah. seems to, seems to have come from him. Yeah. It's uh, almost like that gif of Homer Simpson slowly walking backwards into the hedge. And I wonder, I wonder if it was, um, some of it at least was to do with the fact that he, um, you know, he, 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 he knew Harry Saltzman, he knew Broccoli, and he yeah. you know, he'd known Fleming as well. So yeah. I, I wonder, I, I wonder how much of that is, is that he, he thought maybe it's not, it's not worth his while claiming credit on this. Well, also more broadly, um, back in '65, while Thunderball was being filmed, 
Connery gave a rather extensive interview to Playboy magazine. And mm-hmm. one of the main points of the interview was he was saying that things were getting out of hand in relation to gadgets, in relation to spectacle. And, and he sounded like he was really dissatisfied with how the series was going. So like a little over a decade later, it's like his name is on this script, <laughs> which right. is like way, which, which makes right. Thunderball look like an indie style movie by comparison. Yes. Well, let's talk about that. So Aquapolis, Aquapolis, whatever we're going yeah, to call it. close enough. Um, <laughs> it's an underwater city that can move with nuclear power. And it basically goes along the sea bottom of the Bahamas mining gold and other precious minerals. And that's yeah. how Blofeld makes his fortune. I don't know how you get started on that. Or maybe you had a Kickstarter or something to build his base <laughs> before he got the gold. But, um, but maybe but- he was very, very good at backgammon. <laughs> right. <laughs> I did like the meeting of the specter leaders in the base mm-hmm. um, where they're all listing off how much profit they've made in the last quarter. And uh, that guy, what specter number five, mm. um, fucked up and lost money. So he said, so he apologetically said he's going to like donate some of his own wealth to yeah. the cause. And then Blofeld kills him. Yeah. Yes, yes. Lofeld kills a lot of his own people in this film. Yeah. I, I was about they to keep say, dropping like flies yeah. for like the slightest indiscretions. Like the guy that said approximately two hours, and Blofeld said, What do you mean approximately? You're dead. <laughs> yeah, because well, like in an Eon Bond film, Blofeld kills one, maybe two people. It's like, uh, I, I should have actually got out, should have done a count, but it seemed like right. close to a dozen. Yeah, yeah. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, yeah. Like you forgot to switch the dishwasher on. You're dead. I mean, (laughs) he just goes through the base killing people for the smallest indiscretion. Yeah, because then the next week we'll say it'll be um it'll be saying, well, where's the weekly report? And and it'll be, well, you killed the guy that was responsible for that, and you haven't you haven't replaced him yet because HR haven't been haven't managed to track anyone down because you know undersea because because you killed half of HR. (laughs) (laughs) What I thought of is like I was waiting for. Well, I mean, obviously it's 1978, but the the modern day equivalent would Blofeld sending an email to everybody on the base saying reply to me by midnight if you're hardcore enough or you're fine or you're dead like, <laughs> like elon musk and it's like <laughs> oh man but there's some good stuff in there um so we know the plot pretty much from the beginning we know blowfield's a baddie fathom is a baddie and, and it all plays out much like um never say never go ultimately does in terms of the character's motivations but there's some characters in here that aren't in well, maybe they are. Genghis is the big henchman, right? Yes. Yeah. Which is which is almost like a Mister Hinks. I know. Yeah, I, that's exactly who I imagined. He is. Yeah, he, he's Hinks. Yeah, even down to like not speaking. Right. Mm. I mean, it's all the physical description and everything. I should say when I said nobody's described in this script, Genghis is mm-hmm. very detailed. Right. Um, and yeah, he, I saw him as Mister Hinks. I mean, obviously when they. Build Never Say Never Again. They had their henchman guy with the gym gymnasium fight and everything, but Genghis makes it all the way through to the end. And he also impersonates like a New York City subway worker and stuff <laughs> towards the end. Um, kind of like Hinks with the waiter kind of shtick. Um, it's funny how some of these things pop up in Eon films from this script later on. Um, yes, yes. Well, one other thought that occurred to me reading the script, this is a 
broader comment was, could they have pulled it off with us in terms of special effects? Now, at the time yeah. the script was written, special effects were making some pretty impressive uh, advances. You know, if you look at between 1975 when Jaws was made and 1978 when the Christopher Reeve, first Christopher Reeve mm-hmm. Superman was made, or even Star, the first Star Wars movie in 77, there was a clearly a big advancement. So maybe it might have worked out. But as I was reading the script, part of this yeah. involves mechanical shards and like. Well, we'll get onto those. Yeah. 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 But, but would that have been convincing? I, I don't know. I, I was kind of role playing Christopher Colbold or somebody like when I was reading this, like a VFX supervisor. Every page, it's like, what, how, how much money? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, these massive like mile long glass tube elevators underwater. I'm like, ah, how would you do this? Um, I guess they saw Spy Love Me in '77 uh-huh. and saw that they kind of pulled off the underwater stuff pretty well um, with the models and everything that they did. And obviously Moonraker came a year later. And in, in terms of the Bond franchise, and Moonraker is rightly held up as like an outrageous idea of a movie given the technology of the time, but they pulled it off for the most part, right? They pulled it off. Right. Um, this space is a lot easier. I mean, all right, I'm going to put my, I don't really know what I'm talking on hat on there, but say I think space VFX are a lot easier than underwater VFX. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because of scale, because of scale, right? Yeah, I I was going to say that, yes. Water water doesn't scale at all. It's, uh, if you you shoot something close up in in trying to make it look big, it doesn't. It just looks like a close up of water. Right, yeah. And and Derek Meddings, of course, when he was working for Jerry Anderson, encountered that issue like, as far yes. back as '64 with the show yeah. Stingray. Well, yeah, um, I was I was going to mention in this like it reeks of Stingray and Thunderbirds. Yeah, all of the technology they're talking about. Yeah, um, and they would have had to use models, right? Because if you look at Stingray, what is supposed to be the surf, surface of the ocean? I mean, Derek Meddings did like a great a bathtub, job. It, it does. Yeah, it, it's it doesn't look like the ocean. <laughs> It looks like a toy in a bath. I mean, let's yeah. be realistic. Yeah, like like when the Stingray sub jumps out of the water and jumps back in, followed by this big mechanical fish. It looks like a toy submarine, <laughs> a toy fish, you know, model fish, whatever. So, but but yes, I'm 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 uh, joining with David. Yeah, I I think water special effects are harder than outer space special effects because with outer space. It's black with stars and right. You've you know, got nothing to scale against. Yeah, you know, which does p- provide another problem, which is how big is anything, right? Because I, I yeah, think that's sure, uh, sure. And Moonraker does a good job of like always showing you the astronauts in their little packs and everything, so you kind of get an idea for how big everything is. Otherwise, you'd have no clue, because um, that's the only thing that you know the human eye's got to kind of gauge against. Um, but I do, I do wonder um, with scriptwriters, like if they pay any care to, oh, this would be difficult to film, or do they just purely go into it with, like, in an ideal world, this is what I imagine, and this script reeks of the latter. Well, well, <laughs> yeah. all I all I have to go on is an interview I once read with Bruce Fairstein, where he said the first draft is like the e- is the writer's ego draft. This okay. is, you know, this is, you know. It's all there. And then from here on out, then you have to like 
adjust to reality. <laughs> right. So, um, again, that's one writer, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case more generally. Yeah. So, who wants to talk about the robot sharks? <laughs> oh, God. Well, uh, <laughs> the, I, I think they... M- the thing that must have triggered this idea is Jaws, which was, what, 75 or something like that? Yeah, 1975. Um, 1975. And, you know, I, I haven't seen it for, God, decades, I guess. But uh, And it's a great film, but the shark, when you actually see it, is very, very obviously mechanical. And, uh, and I'm sure that they, they saw that and, and thought, great, we'll put uh, Jaws a different Jaws yeah. in, in a Bond movie. And wow. uh, yeah. So. Well, and, and when they made Jaws, that's another, you know, this is one of the prime examples of saving a movie in the, in the editing booth. Yeah. Uh, the, the editor of Jaws was a woman named, I believe it was Verna Fields. And she was a very well thought of, very skilled editor. And, uh, and yeah, and like all the footage of the shark looked, incredibly fakey and 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 so forth so then they got the idea when it was in post-production of you don't show the shark until you absolutely have to right and 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 the thing is when they finally see it it still looks incredibly fakey after all this suspenseful you know stuff by then you're kind of convinced it's a shark right right yeah you kind of have more sucked in you want to see how it is but yeah well that was Four years later, it was also true of Alien, and there goes the klaxon for the for mentioning Alien, because when they were filming Alien, it did. I mean, they said it looked like a guy walking around in a suit, right? Yes. Xenomorph. So they made the decision, a la Jaws, of like you don't show the monster right until the end. Right? Yeah, you just hint to it and hint to it. The problem with this script is the first time you see one, it's being taken apart. <laughs> so you know it's a big robot shark and uh the visual effects team i mean i can only imagine what they would have to go through on this movie just on the sharks i mean you've got two different types of sharks you've got all the internal workings bond takes them apart in action with a screwdriver um they're supposed to be autonomous they've got cameras in them they fit nukes inside them i mean jesus and I, I, I like that there's there's even justification for choosing um, tiger sharks because of the triangulation, uh, because of the difference in their eyes. Right. It's, it's uh, so that they're more accurate than the other ones. Yeah, so, the hammerheads are just the dumb delivery boys. Yeah, <laughs> just take right. the nukes into the city. <laughs> so, so if this had been made, imagine you're you're being the uh, production manager or whoever is helping to drop the budget. <laughs> And like, okay, we got an underwater city powered by nuclear, moves by nuclear power, and we got all these mechanical sharks. Well, we got several submarines. Yeah. And a fleet of mechanical sharks. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and oh, by the way, we're going to have a shootout on the Statue of Liberty. That's cool, right? Right, and 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 we and we're gonna have Connery with his salary. So it's like you know everybody else is gonna have <laughs> yeah. to just work for scale. On the pro uh, side, we'll be filming at his house. Yeah. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> oh. So why 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 sharks? So let's rewind a little bit. So Allah never said ever again on Thunderball. The idea is that Blofeld's gonna steal some nukes, right? How does he steal some nukes? Well, we're gonna make the Bermuda Triangle a thing. Yes, yes. So and it this, turns this, out Spectre's been behind the Bermuda Triangle all this all time. Along. 
And yeah. Felix has, I'm, I'm going to read this out because I was stunned that this, um, this made it into a script. He, Felix explains what he thinks. Um, okay, here we go. Felix is trying to explain to Bond <coughs> what the Bermuda Triangle might be. Frankly, we don't know what's happening in this so-called Bermuda Triangle. All we can do is speculate. Some scientists have theories of a second gravitational force deadening radio, compasses, instruments, etc. Others talk about a fifth dimension or some sort of time irregularity. Cranks say we are having visitations from outer space or underwater civilizations. <laughs> I mean, it's like the History Channel special. This is this must be the QAnon, um, right. Felix. But <laughs> time travel and aliens and underwater civilizations in a Bond script, fantastic. I mean, for those that think Moonraker is a step too far, um, yeah. So, um, specters behind the Bermuda Triangle, which they can use to like crash the plane of the United Nations director and whatnot. But they also use it to sink a Russian sub, right? Yeah kill everybody on the sub sink it but they sink it too deep so they have to rely on a secret u.s recovery mission to try and steal the submarine and then they hijack the recovery mission you know halfway through you, this you, is really complicated even by blowfeld standards well, you, that you, they have to like hijack the second submarine that goes after the first submarine to off to winch it up so that they can then steal the warheads off the winched up submarine and then destroy the rescue mission as well. Well, well, you know, that bit is probably based on something that happened in real life that mm. Howard Hughes was involved with. Yeah. Um, there was this thing in the seventies, early seventies where a, I think it was a Russian sub had sunk. And so there yes. was this surreptitious, yeah. recovery mission and and hughes i think basically provided cover for the cia or for the americans in any case to do this but it it didn't go well right <laughs> it eventually became public uh yeah. just how badly it had gone so I'm, I'm guessing you know that real life incident probably influenced the script in this stage but again it's like you know with scripts Generally, should be simpler than mm -hmm. complicated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this and this script gets gets you know it goes the other way. It's like wherever we can make it more complicated, we'll do it. Um, but it's like one thing begets another, begets another, right? So because they want to steal nukes off a sub instead of a plane, which was you know they're thunderbolt. They do the the sub, they sink it. Then they have to do the rescue mission, which they then have to create the double to infiltrate the the U.S ship right so that they could sink that which blowfeld you know kills him too because you know why not on the way back home um but to in order to steal the nukes off the sub rescue mission blowfeld has to invent a titanium diving helmet <laughs> yes so that they could survive the depths yeah, right. God, because in fact, the, there's yeah, I can't like remember a Russian what. doll of plot plot complexities that aren't necessary at all. I mean, I guess you could argue "Never Say Never Again" was a bit less complicated because they made it cruise missiles rather than a yeah. plane, and so everything is above, you know, not in water, uh, or at least until the cruise missiles come down. But um, right, yeah, but yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's, it's this. 
it's like tossing a pebble into a pond, you know, yeah. and how the ripples go out. It's just, <laughs> so we have this one idea, but then because of that, all these ripples go out and we have to do this. Yeah. And now we have to do this. And the shot I would, you know, last time we talked about the bucket of eyeballs and Spectre, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Which we never see. The shot I know we would never get to see, which is in the script, is when they, re- so Blofeld cuts away one of the, his own divers because, you know, he was late to getting in the hatch or something. So he's like, yeah, kill that guy too. Um, he's a real stickler for timeliness, Blofeld, in the script. Um, the CIA recover the dead diver who, due to the pressure, his entire body has gone into the helmet. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Which is pretty grim. And then they extract the watch (laughs) from from the couple of pounds of meat that are left inside the helmet. And then, you know, Q reverse engineers the watch to to get the signals and everything. But I I thought, that's never going to make the screen. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, wait. No no time to die with the uh, eyeball. Yes. And how they, yeah. 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 And how they reverse yeah. engineer the eyeball. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's all, there's quite a few things from there that pop up Craig era. But uh, when, when I was reading the, the script the second time and uh, it suddenly occurred to me, and I, I don't know what triggered this, but the, the scene in No Time to Die, sorry to go off on a tangent, but uh, no, no. Um, the scene in No Time to Die with the eyeball on the cushion what they should have done is have the eyeball, uh, the bionic eye in the cat. <laughs> it would have been, it would have been way better. <laughs> well, um, there are cut scenes of Never Say Never Again, right, where the cat is the actual baddie mm-hmm. and kills Blofeld. Yes, which I didn't yeah. know until recently. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The cat kills Blofeld. What with poison claws, right? Isn't yeah, it? that's oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, see, this this should have been a thing. <laughs> so the other thing, we, the other VFX thing we haven't mentioned is that Bond and Lighter get to Shark Island with underwater jetpacks. Yeah, and thermal suits. Yeah. So they're basically human torpedoes. Yeah, and, and uh, they've, they've got all the the breathing device built into the the shoulders because it, it describes them as looking like uh, hunchbacks and so on, doesn't yeah. it? But, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what that would have done for uh, the um, for their. Uh, uh, well, I was going to say aerodynamic, but um, aquadynamic right. efficiency, but uh, yeah. Uh, and we just gave another ulcer to that uh, hypothetical production designer or production <laughs> manager. Yeah. It's like every, two, every couple of pages, it's like, uh, how would you film this in 1977? Mm. Um, but obviously, when they came around to do Never Say Never Again, that turned into those like personal rockets, right? Yeah. Which, one of the worst effects of the whole series, well, of the whole series, even, you know, unofficially. Um, so they, they, they get Spectre Island. Then Domino has her brief appearance. And the whole plot unravels because Bond gives Domino a tracking device um, and Blofeld takes her towards New York. And, of course, you know, where, where are you going to go to from the Bahamas other than New York? So the arrow points <laughs> to New York. Um, so with a big leap of faith, MQ, Bond, Felix, CIA, the, uh, the, the whole uh, Marine Corps scoop diving, they all just descend on New York because that's obviously where he's going to go. 
Well, they, 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 it's, they, it's not pointed out that that's also the home of the United Nations building, and you know, if uh, he's going to take over the United Nations, wouldn't you go to there anyway? But yeah. that's not mentioned. Uh, uh, no, because it, it's all it's all down to the deposits that are found in the in the that lump of whatever it was. That, yes, and uh, when that's analysed, it's it's you know it's uh, I don't know it's it's uh, all kinds of stuff that that you get from the city and shit and everything and uh must be new york yeah it's yeah so they do a chemical analysis on these i guess paperweight type things rocks right that have got rare minerals in and they find out there's like a high percentage of sewage in it or something so can only be new york Um, must be the new york sewer (laughs) (laughs) so as all versions of this script blofeld threatens to destroy a U.S. city, right, um, if his threats aren't taken seriously. Um, and it's and it's New York this time. And so how does Blofeld get nukes into New York City? Well, he puts them inside his robotic hammerhead sharks and, and swims them up the sewer lines. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst idea. No. One of the things that really gets me about this is the continued descriptions of – uh, your toilet paper and stuff like that. <laughs> this would have been lovely to watch. <laughs> he, emer- he emerges from the from the, the shitty water with toilet paper all over his diving helmet. And, yeah, nice <laughs> diapers and all sorts oh, yeah. of <laughs> um, So the whole team uh, descend on New York and. Um, through a sequence of events um oh oh and i would say this i love how much model work there is in the script everybody's building models all the time mm-hmm. so and the, one of my oh, favorite gosh, scenes yeah. is in shrublands where they make a model of the the, the seabed or something yes like yes the mariana trench or something they build a model yeah. of it yeah. yeah because q's there helping make the model and they all serve them a cup of tea on a saucer yeah. and a slice of cake and they, and they cut they can't see where M is because of the size of the model. <laughs> it's almost Johnny English. Isn't uh, it? No, no, I, so, I, I keep I keep going back to my hypothetical production manager guy, and like I, I can imagine a conversation t- between him and McClorian. You know, the production manager guy says, "Kevin, how much money did you make from uh, Thunderball again?" And he tells him the amount. And he says, um, "Why don't you just keep it?" you'd save yourself a few ulcers by just putting this on the shelf and forgetting it yeah um so that's like one of the big and the the other big model that the mi6 and ca decide to make is of the new york city um what would you call it like the different layers of uh the city so they build this thing on uh, on several floors of this building i mean god just thinking about it. So they build a mini New York City inside New York City. Um, and Bond points out, well, obviously the sewer lines, right? Because everything else. And they, they evacuate Manhattan. Yes. Which, good luck filming an evacuation of Manhattan. I don't know how you would do that other than you know tight close-ups and just let the audience probably go with it. Build a um, model. <laughs> <laughs> Get get get, get the double use out of that model. You know, it's like yeah. I, I just love how they, 
they go from like you've got and it's Thursday and you've got till five on Friday to make my demands. In that time, they've built this scale replica of New York City. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, unless in in the scale in the within the scale model of New York City, uh, they they've got this uh, building where they've got a scale model of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Just for accuracy. What, what, what? Well, see, that's what I meant. You know, like that model could do double duty. You know, it could right. be a mo- it could be a model for the purpose of the film story, and then you use it again for the evacuation scene. <laughs> oh man! Um, so Bond crack. Yeah, obviously they're going to use the sewers guys. Um, so you know, team goes down there. They all get killed by the sharks, right? So Bond says, "Well, I'm going to go in alone because that's the only way to do this." Um, right. Not explained why. Um, so they drill a hole. They they have to smash a hole, don't they, into the from the subway into the sewer. Yeah, and and, and Bond goes in alone. And as you say, David, there's great descriptions of poop. <laughs> and, uh, also, wasn't one of the U.S. soldier guys killed? And so then that's when Bond says, "I've got to do this alone." So he doesn't want yes. anybody else get killed. Like, yeah, and Genghis pops up disguised as one of the yes. subway yeah. workers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> And the chief of police, Bond's in charge of the chief of police, but the chief of police says, whatever, I'm going to send some guys after you anyway. So Genghis goes in. So they have, so Bond, you know, uh, tracks the shark, right? And the shark tracks Bond or whatever. And there's a, there's an altercation with the shark. And then Genghis comes in, tries to kill Bond. And then Genghis gets eaten by the shark, right? Because he can't hang on to the pipe because of his weight. Falls in the water and he gets eaten. But in amongst all of this, um, Blofeld dis- dis- decides to up the timetable and arm the nuke anyway, even though he hasn't heard from anybody. It's not the deadline, which is odd considering he's such a such a stickler for punctuality. This guy that he throws his own timetable out, um, but then Bond manages to get the shark open, and then Q pops up to disarm the bomb. Like boop, <laughs> you know, like the guy in Goldfinger, he just comes over and flicks the right switch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's like threat over, right? But no, <laughs> because rather than getting on his own submarine and leaving, Blofeld dis- decides to climb the climb the Statue of Liberty. Yes. <laughs> For what purpose? Another another model. <laughs> the model budget just went up again. <laughs> I mean. I, I wonder if there were shades of thoughts of um, North by Northwest, like having that iconic fight on a or saboteur, saboteur. Or saboteur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so at one point, M and the CIA are in the um, the building, right? They're in the uh, what do you call it, the tiara, right? Of the yeah, yeah. thing, they leave, and then Blofeld takes over the tiara for a little bit, um, and then there's a big shootout. Um, up and down the Statue of Liberty with the Marines and whatnot in this. And the other thing I, should, I, I wanted to mention is all the goons in the script are called Spectres. Yes. Which I thought was oh, interesting. And he's also Ernst Stavros Blofeld as well. That's right. That's yeah, right. that's a typo. He's <laughs> become Greek. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and it was, they, but they sometimes also spell, spell Blofeld wrong as well. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I can't remember. What, One time they call him Lago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's a massive fight in the head of the Empire Steps. 
which, which State, uh, uh, the Empire State uh, the Statue of Liberty. Sorry, that's right. And you know, stop. Think about it. You know, it's like you need to get away. So, what's the best place to go? High up, up with yeah, up <laughs> with, with a place with no obvious way of getting away from there. <laughs> yeah, and in Visions of King Kong, those helicopters circling, right, shooting at him um, with smoke clouds, and I, I, I don't know how you would film this. Um, pre-CGI how you'd possibly do it and then somehow Blofeld gets down from the Statue of Liberty uh, and back into his submarine base Aquapolis right yeah. he makes it back and Bond figures that well they've stolen three we've defused one therefore there's two left um, and they must be on board Aquapolis so don't bomb it right he tells the Americans not to bomb it while he goes to to defuse the other two bombs and that's kind of where like I think this is the third, the third finale at this point um, <laughs> takes place. And, yeah. and like all good scientists, Maslov, who's the scientist character who's helped Blofeld do all this, gets double-crossed because he's kind of got a thing for Domino mm-hmm. um, at the end. Um, well, that, that's that's straight, straight out of Thunderball, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So that's no, no, no real surprise there. At least with Thunderball, the scientist had an actual motivation. He was repulsed by uh, Largo torturing Domino. Yeah. And yeah. he felt sorry for her. So at least, you know, his motivation, you know, was, you know, understandable as opposed to this, which not so understandable. Just, it's got to happen. So here we go. Yeah. And um, I forgot to mention Domino does save Bond and Lighter. Because there's a cliffhanger in the movie, isn't there, where Bond and Lighter are sent down the tube without oh, significant drugs and yes. gas and pressure. Yes. And it would kill anybody, and they're sent down the tube. And you as the viewer, I mean, you think that, I mean, they're obviously dead. Um, and it's only about 10 minutes later is it revealed that Domino, who was in the control room, must have given them the special gas. Um or turn the knob or something <laughs> that allowed them to survive. But it's a good like 10 pages before you realize they're not dead. And then, so of course, the Domino's, uh, Domino's on Aquapolis. I mean, it sounds like <laughs> a speech impediment, doesn't it? Aquapolis. Um, Aquapolis. Um, and so Blofeld goes down there, um, and Blofeld ends up in one of his big glass tubes, doesn't he? And they flood it. So Blofeld drowns yeah. underwater. Yes. Meanwhile, the whole place is on fire um, underwater. Again, the, the stunts and VFX team must just be shaking their heads at this point reading the script because um, the underwater city is on course to collide with a cliff. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Yes. And it's on fire. And, it, it, and anyway, and, and so Bond, Bond and Domino escape in Blofeld's personal submarine covered in gold dust. Because they, on their way to escape, they open the door of the gold oh, room and God. get covered in gold dust. And, then, um, and yeah, Bond says, says something very stupid. I can't remember what it is. It's supposed to be funny, but... Uh, uh. Um, uh, so the last quotes are kind of like, Bond, I don't think it really matters, but have you ever been gold-plated before? Yeah. <laughs> she snuggles up to him. Oh, James. Bond looks up at the reflection, because there's a mirror ceiling again, and winks. The submarine goes away from us until it is a tiny dot in this vast underwater world. We can hear the strains of Rule Britannia at the end. <laughs> yeah. Is that the new Bond thing? Yeah. 
Well, yeah, because they wouldn't have yeah. the Bond team to play with. No, no, no. Um, oh, one thing we didn't mention. So, speaking of cliffs, yeah, <laughs> on Shark Island. Oh yes, yeah. I know there is an there is a one way mirror cliff. Yes, you, yeah, you can see through the cliff. You yeah. can see through the cliff if you're on the inside. inside yeah, I know that. I, that's weird. I, I couldn't. I mean, it's not explained how it works. I mean, you, you, uh, you, you can imagine you can have imagine having a you know giant um, screens with a, a camera outside which projects the view that you you know so it, it's it's right. almost like you're looking directly out. But uh, yeah, right. it, it, this was a bit silly. I, which I, Q Q doesn't figure out, but he blows a hole through it, doesn't yes, he? Yeah. When you come, like, oh yeah, and Q breaks into Blofeld's base, and <laughs> as you do. Yeah, um, so I just have one question: uh, Like, how much marijuana was being smoked while this script was being written? <laughs> that might, expl- that might explain some of this, but I, I know we spent an hour kind of mocking how ridiculous it is. But I got to say, when I read, it, I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it because I knew it was ridiculous going into it. Um, well, and that goes back to what I said earlier about Connery. You know, in, in 65, Connery's complaining about, oh, the spectacle's getting out of hand. Now it's like, I mean, his name is on it. And I assume he's, you know, even if he didn't actively it. write it, you know, he's, you know, he approved of this. So it's like, clearly he changed his mind along the way. And well, what, oh, there's one thing that I... I wondered every time I read it was the the aqua tactical troops or whatever they whatever yes. they were called. Why don't they just call them Marines? Right. Yeah. I just sorry. I shortcutted and called them Marines, but yeah. yeah. It's just funny how they're all getting trained on the latest aquatic te- techniques and weapons, just so in case this kind of thing pops up. And lo and behold, yeah. it's just down the beach. Yeah, uh, this is the it, it was uh, a, a lot of lucky coincidences. Yeah. So Bond's agency in this, I was trying to think about this this morning mm-hmm. before recorded. Bond's agency in this is, well, he's at Shrublands, you know, down the road from his house. He's at Shrublands getting massages and stuff, hitting on Fatima Blush, who is a doctor instructor, somebody or other, um, who is with dating, whatever you want to call it, and the American guy. And Bond's basically trying to get in on that. That's the first half of the film. Is Bond just trying to shag Fatima Blush? Yeah, I know. It's, it's like um, nothing happens at the beginning. Nothing happens. It's all Blofeld. Yeah. All Blofeld. Bond is just trying to shag Fatima Blush um, for the first half of the movie, and the second half of the movie, he's just with Felix and Q and M, and Q and M popping up everywhere, and really besting Bond. I think Q and M best Bond the whole movie. I think it's great. They just keep popping up and it, it, solving problems. But it, it, it's almost like when when, uh, when Bond and Lighter. Go to Shark Island. It's and then uh, kind of Bond Bond ditches Lighter for a while, and he's gone for an hour or whatever it is. Yeah. While he's with Domino, and, and Lighter's a bit pissed off at him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to your point, Bill. I mean, Connery complained the tech was taken over in '65, and Bond wasn't the focus of the story. Well, here's a co-written script by Connery where Bond himself I think Blofeld is in this film more than Bond is I mean it's close yeah if it's not 50-50 it's 60-40 Bond to Blofeld I mean Blofeld is like he's got entire chunks of this film to himself Blofeld um so and then Leiter takes some of the and Q 
really do a lot of Bond's work for him. Yeah. So I don't know if this was Connery like, well, I'm going to make this as easy as I can on myself. Um, <laughs> and I'm just going to be doing some light shagging um, for half the film. And then the other guy's going to pick up most of the action. The only thing I'm going to do is film about five minutes in fake poop. But at this stage, at this stage, uh, Connery had uh, Connery was still resisting um, returning as Bond. I think at this stage he 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 was only in it from uh, the script and production point of view. I, I don't think he intended oh. to return. Mm, I, I, I think I think that that came that came a, a couple of years later. You you may be right, although knowing McClory, McClory is always playing sort of a you know a double match. He's you know yeah. he's like playing he's like playing along with Connor. Yeah, yeah, Sean. All you have to do is write. Sure. And then yeah. like, but with the idea like, uh, if we could get Sean, this movie's gonna get made. Yeah, um, I thought, Sean, are you sure, are you sure you don't want to be in this movie? Because if we hire this other guy, he's going to be filming at your house for six months. <laughs> 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 Yeah, right. I mean, I, oh, I think we haven't mentioned no pre-title sequence because yeah. it just says to be written. <laughs> yeah, I thought that, that, that was a great cop out. Well, <laughs> well, you know, Mankiewicz did the same thing with Diamonds Are Forever. His first draft said, you know, uh, pre-credit sequence where Bond kills Blofeld, but there's no description. You know, there's just there's just that that says titles, and then you know it starts. So I'm not saying that they got the idea from Mankiewicz. I don't think they would have had access to that but it's like it's not the first time <laughs> somebody's you know done that like yeah we'll get to it later because also with Mankiewicz when he originally wrote live and let die it's like the best boat chase you ever saw and then <laughs> and then 16 finally, pages yeah and then, and then people started coming to tom saying tom where's this terrific boat chase <laughs> so you know screenwriters can do that at times yeah uh, it's got a big cast, this film. That's right, because near the uh, beginning of it, the, it lists all the characters. And there's a lot there's of a lot. speaking parts. Because, yeah, there's a lot of people in Bond movies, but if you actually just list the speaking parts, right. often there's not that many. In yeah. this film, even like the sewer guy gets a line, the park ranger gets a line, two drivers get lines, the newscasters, the reporters. There's like crew technicians there's 15 specter agents that have lines that get killed off i mean there's just a shit ton of you know just just look at the people that blofeld kills like yes. say there's between 10 and 12 people they, and they all, all get, get lines. at least a line <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of officials right between mo6 the cia the aqua force team hunger strike whatever the people they're called um radio officers news people I, police police construction folks I mean, good grief! I've just counted them. Sixty-three. <laughs> did you did you put fifteen for the Spectre agents? Oh no, I, di I didn't. And uh, it also says scuba men, so I, I only counted that as as one. So uh, yeah, there's at least eighty then. Cool. You know, and I and I know I keep making a joke about the hypothetical production manager guy, but like you know, he's got to look at that list and go like you know, hit his head against the wall. Well, yeah, I mean, what you'd expect to happen, right? Is we then that a lot of out. these characters get merged, right? Because yeah, yeah. even with the US side of Felix's side of the house, I like how he whispers to Bond, he's RM. 
explaining who the guy is. Yeah. Like the head, of the, the head of the CIA. Yeah, he's kind of like your M. I think a Bond would know that. Uh, it's definitely, it's definitely like a hey audience uh, kind of thing. Um, kind of like Matt is explaining the rules of poker to Vesper. It's kind of like oh yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or or in the 1954 Casino Royale, lighter yeah. explaining <laughs> Baccarat to Bond. Right. <laughs> Wink all. Oh, audience. Explanation. Um. Right. <laughs> but just to give you an idea, there's a first sailor and a first officer, a first guard and a second guard, a first driver and a second driver. I mean, you would expect a lot of these things to be condensed down. Right. And the fact that like the police department are brought in, the sewage department are brought in, you've got the <laughs> army, the navy, the air force. I mean, all of this stuff would just be right condensed down. And I don't think even like – I don't uh, – M flying out to New York on, on the, the Bahamas and Concord and stuff just just to just to make a joke. I mean, I guess just just to show Bond that he was messing with him by putting him on the the, the transport yeah. plane. I mean, there's a lot of just dick waving in this film between the characters, yeah. which I found I found amusing when I read it. Yeah. But I can't imagine it would get greenlit to shoot. No, but what wasn't this supposed to be one of the Great unfilmed scripts. Yeah, well, it's, it's like what? What? What are the unfilmable ones like then? <laughs> <laughs> well, just real quick as an aside. I mean, back in those pre-internet days, um, finding out that this was even a thing. I mean, it wasn't this script. It was the previous one, James Bond and the Secret Service. But like, I found out about it. Going to my public library, getting a copy of Variety, and you know, flipping through the uh, through the, it was a really thick issue. And the first ad I took note of was one for the spy who loved me. And I saw what? No Harry Saltzman anymore? Oh, first I heard right. it. Right. And then and then like then further back, it was this ad where I want to say it was Swifty Lazar who was like this Hollywood super agent. It's like this testimony. I have read James Bond of the Secret Service by, and you know, it says Sean Connery, Lynn Dayton, Kevin McClory. It's one of the greatest scripts I have ever read. Signed, Swifty Lazar. Okay, like, yeah, that, that's that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, that, yeah that's and, it. Yeah, and like, so here's the teenage me reading this, like, what the hell? What's going on here? How can this be? And but then didn't hear about any anything about it for years after that like did i imagine that no i'm pretty sure it was real but what what the heck's going on so i mean just i can't imagine what it'd been like today with the internet and rapid um you know dissemination of information or misinformation um it would have it, the hype would have been out of control i would think yeah, I think we are spoiled now as Bond fans that we have access to these things, which for decades were not, yeah, you know, touchable by many. Um, I was just flicking through the script, and there's a character called Linklater whose only task is to explain that there's a lot of people in the room. And his quote is, okay, gentlemen, I'm not going to go around introducing you all like it's a Halloween party. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. they, um, I, I looked it up. They built the model of New York City inside the Twin Towers. Oh, yeah. But, oh, dear. It's, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just flipping through the script as well. 
I, I think this would make a, a fantastic comic book adaptation where you could really go in on the yes. design of everything because you don't care how much it costs to build it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good um, point. Some, uh, you know, it's never going to happen because the amount of work, if it was unofficial, but I mean, I would love to see this as a comic book, graphic novel. I think it'd be fantastic as a graphic novel. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, and, you know, and the thing is, even if Connery, let's, for argument's sake, say this was made as a film, and even if Connery wasn't in it, the fact his name was attached, yeah, wouldn't have gotten as much publicity, but it still would have gotten a lot of publicity. Um, you know, Connery's revenge against broccoli, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you can just imagine the kind of publicity angles that would be taken. Should mention, they did go to the effort of making concept art for this movie. So it came up for auction a few years ago, but there are concept paintings of some of the things in this film, including the robot sharks in the sewers and other bits and pieces, which were done pre, you know, Nervous and Evergreen getting the green light. Right. So they were pretty serious about this film. This wasn't just, as you say, like the fantasy draft. I think this is what they wanted to actually shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I could see a, I could see a concept art of a robotic shark with a dirty diaper on its nose, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) swimming swimming through the sewers upstream against the poop. (laughs) And I could see, you know, somebody arguing with the artist. No, no, Sam, no, we, we want to sell the movie. We don't want to unsell the movie. Like, you know, do it over, please. No diaper this time. So how do you guys rate this in terms of, um, let's, let's look at this, like villain's motivation. I think, I mean, it is Stromberg, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we are in that peak era of megalomaniac, rich people trying to destroy or take over the world plots, right? Right. Dr. Evil kind of era. They they should have uh, Greta Thunberg as, as the new Blofeld. They should have installed her as the head of the ocean. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> I actually quite like her. That would have been Blofeld's pick, right? I, I would have been saying Blofeld's anything pick. against her. She gets up off her ass and does something, so uh, I'm fine with that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anything against her either. I'm just saying that would, you know, I could see the parodies of it. Never mind. And they would dig out that, that, uh, quote of hers how dare you how dare you and then that would i could i could see a you know a youtuber running with that as a theme. His speech blofeld's speech is kind of of that tone like oh, you oh, governments where, where have failed the, you governments have failed the people of this planet and <laughs> the environment and i'm gonna come and kick you all out and sort it out and I mean, he describes the effects of the you know, environmental effects of yeah of pollution see, in the yeah. ocean. Yeah, so it, it's what I said right at the beginning. He, he's the good guy, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll do it before I play my next backgammon game. But, yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Blofeld's idea—it was kind of done in the spy of me anyway. Um, the United Nations thing was an interesting twist on it. Um, the way he goes about it, it's actually explained where Blofeld gets his revenue from, which I think is interesting. Like, he actually has a business. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 
God knows how he afforded to set all that up in the first place, but um, at least now it's going, he's he, he's able to uh, fund Spectre. Uh, I don't right. know why they actually well, bothered doing all the uh, extortion <laughs> and so on, though. Well, there was a fantasy idea in the in the 60s. You know, this was a plot in various things where you could you could mine the oceans for gold that, you know, like you have minute amounts yes. of gold in any section, but you know, they, if you could somehow yeah, extract they, it. They do it today in the Bering Strait. Yeah. They they might they they mine the seabed for gold. Right. Yeah. I I'm just saying that was sort of a a, a MacGuffin in the sixties. And yeah, and yeah. so this is, you know, basically Blofeld's thing. His source of wealth is kind of an extension of that. Yes. Um He's good at backgammon and he's not a cheat, which kind of goes against typical villain stuff about they always have to be cheating at something. And Blofeld is the good guy. And Blofeld's the good guy. Yeah. Bond's pretty lazy. Um, there's no real Bond girl. We mentioned this in the beginning. There's no real Bond girl, typical Bond girl in it, because Domino is such a bit player right at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, mean ba- ba- basically, Bond just wants to shag anybody he can. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. the script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Domino in this script is basically checking a box. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Tim Connery's checking her box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, well, unless Domino's in it, it's not a remake of Thunderball. Right, right. Um, what else can we say about it? locations? Well, it's filmed down the road from Connery's house on the beach. Most of the film. Uh, they're in London for five minutes just to get Money Penny in it, I think. Other than that, and to build a model of the sea trench. Or well, M- M- McClory also had property in the Bahamas, didn't he? Yeah. Yes, he did. So yeah. it's, uh... and it's all <laughs> Bahamas one. except for five minutes in London and 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 the New York, and which would have been soundstage stuff for the Empire State Building. I keep saying Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty. Statue right. of Liberty. Yeah. Um, so location work, obviously, they're, you know, they're, they're filming where they want to live, uh, where they live and stuff. Makes it easy. Um, scale, I think, off the charts. I mean, this makes yep. Moonraker look like a cheap movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said earlier, it makes Thunderball look like a, an indie-style movie. You know? Right. <laughs> By <Yeah>. comparison. <laughs> And you know, the thing I was thinking about is that for all the complaints Thunderball gets about the underwater action being slow and drawn out and a third of the movies and everything, a lot of this movie's underwater too, but it's not the same kind of stuff, is it? It's submarines and bases and, and stuff and jetpacks and stuff. It's not fist fights underwater. No. Um, no. No, it has a very different feeling from from Thunderball. I mean, it, you know, you, you can you can see where it has its origins, but uh, it, it doesn't. It just the the thing about Thunderball is that it it's actually quite a realistic plot. I, I think you know yeah. the, the you know there's the eternal thing of a bad guy getting his hands on nukes and threatening uh, threatening the West or threatening whoever, and uh, that. That I think in in the sixties in during um, the you know height of the Cold War, yeah, it, that was that was something that really kind of preyed on people's minds. And uh, but even even outside of the context of the of the Cold War, that is and and perhaps even more um, 
once with once the USSR broke up, and you know nobody knew where all the nukes were, so that became right. um, a potentially bigger problem. And so the the idea of somebody getting their hands on 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 nukes and you know who, who doesn't care about using them is is pretty frightening. Yeah. And so from that point of view, Thunderbolt's always been quite realistic. This definitely is not. Right. Well, in, in fact, with Thunderball, was a short while after release, there was a plane that went missing with a couple mm-hmm. nukes on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that was... Uh, the whole broken think, arrow thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing we didn't mention was Blofeld's plan for the other two nukes is uh-huh. to detonate them under the Arctic Circle. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. therefore flood... Uh, what does he say? Something like one third of the world's population lives by the coastlines. So his idea is to basically raise the sea levels. Yeah, um, it's like ninety percent of cities would be affected. Or, right. Um, yeah. yeah so that's his plan. Like, kind of like Stromberg, but um, going about it a different way, probably more scientifically accurate oh. way of doing it. <laughs> um, hmm. Actually, the, 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 talking about percentages, there's one, one bit I find quite funny where is. Uh, hmm. I don't remember who it is. It's probably Blofeld. He says that the uh, the, uh, the the um, the the ocean covers seventy point one percent of the Earth's surface. And it's like yeah, yeah, you've got to be, but you've got to be that precise. Point one, right? <laughs> it's that point one that gets you every time. Yeah. Had it been had it been seventy even, he might not have wanted to rename the planet Ocean, right? Uh, so. True. <laughs> it's the super majority. Not not only is he trying to take over the world, he wants to rename the planet. So like yes. that's that that's that little bit over the top. I'm, you know, guy's got a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, gadgets insane. Um, supporting cast. I mean, it's all allies on Bond side. They take up half the screen time, right? Between lighter and Q and M, and everybody else. Um, Blofeld is a, a maniac and um, just killing his own people for stupid reasons. And <laughs> I can't, I can't help like the guy in this. <laughs> I think he's actually Blofeld's great in this in this script. Um, he makes some stupid decisions himself, like I'm going to climb up the Statue of Liberty for no reason. But um, it's in terms of like plot holes and stuff. I mean, he makes some silly decisions, but I mean, you know. You could argue who's panicked, but um, I think it, his motivations and stuff, they all hold up. I mean, it's not your typical Craig era, like, why would they do this? Kind of like, it's, it's actually stitched together pretty well, I think. Um, and save for the end bit where he's, I think, erroneously described as being obese or something, it's like, um, he's a pretty good, I think he's a pretty good opponent for Bond in this. Although they never really come face to face in a fight, except for the very end where he gets stuck in a tube. Uh, um, no, the, the the thing that really strikes me about this script is it is just bizarre. Yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah, yeah. it's nuts. It's uh, and uh, Bill, you, you were saying earlier you wondered how much um, uh, uh, how much marijuana they'd been smoking. I, I think this is this is acid. <laughs> well, we That's are right. in that post LSD kind of yeah, era, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, invisible cliff faces and, and 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 everything else. 
Yeah. So this film, as scripted, would never have made it to shoot, right? Um, just not. I don't think it would have been possible to make this film in 1978. No. Without thank it looking at a yeah. shit. Thank no. God. It, it it would have been it would have been terrible if they'd managed to film well, it. Well, by comparison, okay. So in '78 was when it was filmed. Uh, Moonraker cost between thirty-two and thirty-six million, depending on you know whose yeah. estimate you read. So this would have cost more than that. It w- would have had to cost more than that. I mean, yeah. and even if they had economized mm-hmm. here and there, it still would have. You know, it, I could see it costing fifty million in nineteen seventy-eight. I mean, don't forget, Moonraker had to go to France to avoid 10% tax or something, right? They saved 10% on tax or something by going to Paris. Right, yeah. So, I mean, Moonraker was, like, struggling to make it work at that price. Um, but, you know, the thing Moonraker had going for it on the, on, the, on the bottom line was there was a lot of location work all over the place, which cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this script, not really, because it's all in the same place, except for the, the VFX would have been... right insane yeah i mean ilm probably would have got the call right yeah they, they must have been thinking of them. They, they were the only uh special effects people that could do that kind of stuff yeah then. and they were too expensive for broccoli right mm. right yeah. because they wanted a uh, ilm wanted a cut of the profits in addition yeah. to their fee and and broccoli wasn't going to go for that so right um and which led to the famous quote attributed to him like okay fellows what are we going to do now um <laughs> and then of course they leaned heavily on uh derek mettings and yeah. company which i think was for the best in the end but yeah um, yeah oh yeah no question um bonds aston martin shows up briefly to get blown up yeah um which is you know th- th- there's a lot of um i i think kind of like thumbing the nose at the official series in it. Yeah. Just subtle things. They're like, yeah, we don't need a car chase, right? We, yeah, so we're going to blow up the Aston Martin DB5 whilst it's in the garage, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> other than it being unfilmable <laughs> um, and being bonkers, what, what, what were you guys' like, takeaways that were positives of this? Uh, positives? Uh, well, as I said, I, I did. I did love the. Um, I, I did love the uh, scenes at Bond's Muse house. Uh, n- not for the right reasons, but uh, <laughs> if, if that's a positive, then that's it. Well, you know what? I'll make it a positive. You know, its outlandishness is actually a positive in the sense that clearly nobody felt constrained <laughs> by right. anything and you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it's inter- it's just interesting to get another perspective i mean you know we've we've grown up thinking you know the eon way of making bond movies is the only way of making bond movies and so it's interesting to see somebody else's take and um you know it's it's cheaper to read it than it is <laughs> to yes. make it but uh but in that sense yeah it's 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 enjoyable i like the juxtaposition of the baham the bahamas being the the center of the movie but them wedging in quintessential british things 
just as contrast, like, you know, everybody having a, a slice of cake with a cup of tea whilst they're talking <laughs> about the mission and, and just things like that, that are wedged in the script. Um, I, I, I kind of really like that. Um, well, and, I don't and know also Corey, Connery that did that, but just the little, the, you know, the union Jack kind of waving kind of flavor that's wedged in it, complete juxtaposition to the whole film, um, especially the American finale. Um, yeah. Well, and they really do make it like a joint British-American yeah. uh, effort at the end. Yes. Um, yeah, because yeah, Bond and Light were in charge of everything. Whatever they yes. say goes, yeah. 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 And, and James, your comment that this would make a great graphic novel, yeah, I, I'd never thought of it in those terms until you said it, but like, yeah, that would, that would definitely be... That would make an entertaining read, you know, especially as this one shot deal, you know, right. you don't have to, you don't have to worry about continuity at all. Just, you know, here it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So an opportunity for a fan comic. Oh, it's a lot of work. Um, Godspeed to somebody who wants to do that. Yeah. Well, um, somebody might want to do it. Yes. That'd be fantastic. Um, I, I would say this. I think perhaps except for majesty's secret service perhaps i think this is my favorite blofeld <laughs> out of all of them because okay. he's just fucking nuts <laughs> <laughs> well, like- but he but you know it's like he has a plan he knows how to get there he does it he's actually successful about his grand scheme he's been working on this thing for years but he is ruthless all the way through like well, completely committed to his goal and anybody who fucks up along the way, they're out. Um, and he's quite brilliant. Well, and that, except that, his decisions right at the end. That, that one guy early, early in the script, you know, the, the specter guy, Oh, it went wrong, but I'm going to put a million dollars of my own money. Yeah. It's like, well, still not good enough. Blam. You're dead. <laughs> Yeah, but before that, it's, it's, it's first of all he says, "Oh, I'm making up the short shortfall." And then Blofeld, says, yeah, that's not enough. And that's why I decided to put my, um, extra money in of my own as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, if you're a fan of Blofeld, I'd highly recommend reading this. Um, movie but it's just <clears throat> it, for me it was very difficult to pull it apart from <clears throat> imagining connery winking at the camera in 83 kind of bond in this and as you say david the the, the lines are very much roger era yeah um, yeah i i, I just jokes. in most of it I, I just couldn't put connery uh in my head it, it was always it was always roger moore and uh so which which is weird uh, when you know that Connery's involved in it, yeah, yeah, and who, and who went against and who spoke against Roger's lightness <laughs> and that era of Bond at this time. But uh, you know, it's I, I've never I've never even attempted to write a film script, and I imagine no. that it's it's pretty bloody difficult to do. So uh, yes. the fact that they actually managed to get this far, it, you know, it is is something uh if you don't start doing something and you're never actually gonna get to where you want to anyway it'd be, be like blowfeld in this script i suppose uh yeah. it's, it's always the thing you need to get up 
up off your ass and, and do something. Otherwise, it's never going to get done. And your first yeah. attempts are often going to be rubbish. So yeah. uh, that's what editing's all about. Yeah. So word of advice to anybody out there, um, start scraping the sea floor for gold now. And you too, in about 20 years, <laughs> could have made enough money to build an underwater city. And you too could uh, have made enough money to buy Twitter. Right. <laughs> and, and build your villainous space down the road from the joint operation space of MI6 and CIA. I just rub it in their face. Do you think they bought the land from the same uh, real estate agent? <laughs> and it was, you know, he was thinking, yeah, this would be ideal. Could just play these two off against each other. That's that's right. The, the real estate agent is making money from both sides. <laughs> <laughs> Close to local amenities. <laughs> <laughs> Your commute's going to be really great. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for for entertaining us through um, this wacky script. Thank and, um, you. I think this po- this podcast was delayed more times than No Time to Die, though, wasn't it? It was in, in frequency, but not in duration. Ah, uh, yeah, so, well, that's right. Because right. um, we did manage to squeeze it in in the same. Well, no, we didn't do it in the same year. We, we talked didn't about do it in it, the but... same year even. <laughs> <laughs> but we got there. Hopefully, the next one will be quicker. Um, so, thanks very much, Bill and David, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot. Good speaking. Yeah. Thanks for having me.